You're listening to The Grand Show in association with Touchdown Trips. Sorry, there will be a proper intro and a proper show coming up. We recorded the show on Friday, and then I got an interview lined up with Brian Billick over the weekend, the Ravens Super Bowl winning head coach. I wanted to ask him about drafting Jamal Lewis at the top of the 2000 draft in reference to Saquon Barkley and, and just have a general chat with him about draft prep and, and that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, what I decided to get the interview done. We'll put it on the front of the podcast here. So we're kicking off with a Super Bowl winning head coach for you and then we'll get into the show proper. So the NFL draft is mere days away and absolutely delighted to say that joining us now on the show, a Super Bowl winning head coach with the Baltimore Ravens, Brian Billett. Very good uh, morning to you, Brian. How are you doing, sir? Doing great. Thanks for having me. No, I really appreciate you you taking the time out to speak with us. And I'm going to kick off by taking you back in time, if that's okay, to uh, kind of March-April time 2000, going into that draft where you had two picks in the top ten, thanks to the pick you'd taken from uh, from the Atlanta Falcons the previous year. And you made the decision at number five to take the running back, Jamal Lewis. Ended up clearly being a great decision for your team, but I, I just wonder when we're talking about whether or not a team should take Saquon Barkley in this upcoming draft, what went into the process of picking a, a player of that position so high uh, with one of your picks? Yeah, and, and it's, it's an interesting question. It's a very good question because since then, the league has kind of gone in and out of vogue as to whether you take a running back with a high pick or not. The mentality being that we've had a number of good running backs that you could get in the second, third, and fourth round. So why put those resources into a position where you can get pretty good value in later rounds? But then we also, like Jamal Lewis, like Ezekiel Elliott, uh, we're seeing some pretty good value in backs that were taken early as well. I think Saquon Barkley is a phenomenal talent. I think he's Le'Veon Bell-like in terms of what he'll be able to do both in and out of the backfield. Separate from the quarterbacks, because you always have to put the quarterbacks in a different category, I think he's clearly worthy of the number one overall pick. Was there a, a point when you were approaching that? It must be so tough when you're, you're coming up to the draft. Did you always have Jamal Lewis in mind there? Was that the hope that he would fall to you at five? Well, it was interesting. We, when we made the trade the year before, which I'll be honest with you, I was not real excited about because we needed players. But when Ozzie made that trade with Atlanta, because I'm thinking, well, Atlanta's in the Super Bowl. They're going to be, what, the 28th, 29th, 30th pick. We had no idea they were going to drop and give us a top five pick when it was all said and done, which was, you know, obviously huge for us um, when we did it at the time. But when you look at the other players available, our need, we knew we were a team that were going to play great defense. We could run the ball uh, and, and be effective, as turned out to be the case for us. I think we had the third-ranked rushing team in the league that year. Um, that, that, that was, you know, ended up being a good choice for us. And, again, it was at a time when, uh, you know, then taking a back in the first round, early in the first round, was not that unique. It was later that we kind of evolved into that idea that maybe you didn't need to, you know, because there were some pretty good, pretty good players available. Uh, Corey Simon was a defensive tackle. Uh, Thomas Jones was running back out of Virginia. A lot of people thought of uh, Plexico Burris was a big receiver. Brian Erlacher, now in the Hall of Fame, uh, uh, came in at that point as well. So, um, you know, this this was a big pick for us, uh, and obviously it turned out well for us because Jamal Lewis, one of the really unique, big physical backs in the league. I mean, obviously it's always ifs and buts, but the idea of Brian Erlacher and Ray Lewis on the same team terrifies me. 
Yeah, that would that would have been a pretty good combination, wouldn't it? <laughs> not bad, not bad at all. Um, the other thing that always interests me about that draft and that team, and people will always cite whether or not a team can win without a top, top-tier quarterback. They will often look at your side and with Trent Dilfer, who has gone on to be a brilliant analyst, but, you know, it, the team was built around running and defence. But it was an, it was a weird quarterback draft. It wasn't like this year where there were guys who were clearly at the top who were going to go. So was there ever any thoughts of looking at the quarterbacks in the first round for you? Well, at that time, that year was not a particularly good quarterback draft. Um, uh, the first quarterback taken was Chad Pennington, at number 18. And Chad had a good, solid career. Um, was he a franchise Super Bowl caliber quarterback? Um, no. You know, the, the, the next quarterback taken in that year was Giovanni Camarzi in the third round. So it was not a great quarterback draft. So it really wasn't an option for us. Um, again, and that was at a time, keep in mind, our Super Bowl the next year with New England, the year after that with Tampa Bay. Um, that was at a time when great defense running the ball, we were kind of a void of the great quarterback play. That was a formula that you could maybe win with at that time. Now, since then, when you've come into the great quarterbacks we've had, whether it's a Peyton Manning, a Drew Brees, an Aaron Rodgers, I mean, uh, the list goes on and on, uh, um, Peyton Manning, um, that, yeah, you got to have one of those franchise guys now. doesn't mean you can't win with great defense and run the ball. But if you're going to compete in today's NFL, doesn't necessarily have to be a Hall of Famer, but he better be a pretty good one. Um, what's your assessment of the the current Ravens side? It's a, it's still kind of amazing to me that in a league where we see so much turnover, that it's still Ozzie Newsom, your guy, who's there making the decisions. Yeah, Ozzie's one of the best. Could be in the Hall of Fame as a general manager, just like he is as a player, uh, and is now transitioning. As everybody knows, he's made the uh, announcement he's going to retire after this year, um, and Eric DaCosta is going to take over. Eric's been there since day one. So, it's an, again, that transition should be seamless as Eric begins to take over. Uh, and Ozzie's been brilliant, and that's a reason, like a lot of good teams that remain at the top, whether it's Pittsburgh, whether it's Green Bay, some of the other teams that have seemed to stay consistent over the last, 15, 20 years, a lot of it has to do is because of, of that relationship of the owner, general manager, head coach at the top. Um, what was that relationship like at the time? Because in particular in relation to, um, we're doing a big piece in, in our magazine coming up on, uh, on funnily enough, Bill Belichick. I think every magazine should probably be doing a big piece of him at this point in his career, but it still stuns me to this day that he does so much of both sides of it. How, how much did you lean on, on Ozzie Newsom with these decisions? How much were you involved in, say, picking someone like Jamal Lewis at number five? Oh, no, it's huge. It, and it has to be a partnership, a shared vision. doesn't mean you have to agree all the time, and you've got to be able to bounce things off one another. But Belichick in New England, obviously, is a truly unique situation. No one else in the league has it. He's one-stop shopping. Everywhere else, it's become kind of a general manager's league. And I don't mean that critically. It's not a good thing or a bad thing. It just is. that That's where much of the power is in terms of the, the cap and choosing the player and the final roster and the like. Uh, but clearly you have to have a shared vision for the team as the head coach and the general manager uh, so that you have a very firm idea of the type of players that you're looking for and how they're going to be used. How excited are you for this, this upcoming draft? Because... I have to say, uh, it's the first one in the last three or four years where I think as soon as we get to the Giants at number two, I haven't got a clue what's going to happen. 
Oh yeah, and it's going to fall. It's going to be fascinating to see what the kind of movement is. You know, we just had the schedule come out, which is exciting because now that to me the season's real now because you know who's going to play when and where. And now with the draft, you'll have the the bulk of the teams put together, or at least the core of what will come out of that. Uh, so the draft it's it's very exciting. And and you're right. Once Cleveland makes its choice, whether it's the quarterback, whether they go with Barkley. It's going to be a scramble because as many good quarterbacks as there appear to be, anytime there's the chance for them to be pushed up into the draft, that means some really good players, whether it's a Barkley, a Chubb, a Denzel Ward, a Trumaine Edmonds, some pretty good players, Quentin Nelson, the guard from Notre Dame, are going to get pushed down to some teams that might not have otherwise had an opportunity to take a player of that caliber. And I'll tell you, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head there, and I'm going to go completely personal on this, uh, Coach, but as a 49ers fan, I was half looking through kind of slatted fingers uh, the Jimmy Garoppolo run at the end of last season because it was brilliant to see what he could do, but you could just see us slowly tumbling down the draft. Actually, at nine, if we don't trade out, you feel like you're still going to get a real blue chip player at that point. Well, I think just because of what we said, because of all the quarterbacks, I think they're going to be, and each year the blue chips, at least when I was in Baltimore, We'd always establish, you know, where does the blue chip end? Sometimes it's eight players, sometimes it's 12 or 13 players. And if you have a chance to get a blue chip, Ozzy was, was very firm in his belief that if you have a chance to get a blue chip, you hold on to it. Or if you can move up to get one reasonably, do so. Uh, and so with the 49ers, as we said, with the quarterbacks being pulled up early in the draft, I think they have an excellent chance, whether, again, whether it's a Nelson from Notre Dame, uh, Raquan Smith from Georgia, the, the really good linebacker, Fitzpatrick from Alabama, the safety, or, or Darwin James, the safety from Florida State. I think San Francisco's got an excellent chance of a franchise-type blue-chip player being pushed down to them because of these quarterbacks. Um, now, I, I kind of I wonder, just finally on this, uh, is there, if when you look back over your career and your history with the Ravens or even back, you know, uh, with the Vikings and now that amazing offense, but is there a particular draft pick that you were involved in, a guy you really banged the table for that you are particularly proud at the other end of your career to say, I, we absolutely nailed that one? Well, and, and, and it was, it was very much a group process in Baltimore led by Ozzie Newsom. Uh, and so, you know, it was collectively everything we did. You know, great thing about Ozzie Newsom, he was a great listener. Um, anybody that came out of our draft, coach or scout, it may not go the way that you had wanted it to. Maybe you had a different opinion, but you've gotta, you've gotta know that you had your say. And it was listened to. And Ozzie was brilliant at that. But, uh, for us, you know, obviously a Terrell Suggs, uh, falling to us at 10, uh, what was a big get for us, uh, one that we didn't anticipate, uh, particularly at that time. Um, so obviously Jamal Lewis to me was one because he was such an integral part of what we, you know, the Super Bowl run. Ed Reed, who we got with the 24th pick late in the draft to get a, in my opinion, a future Hall of Fame player that late in the draft is uh was huge and and one that uh you know somewhat unexpected so yeah there's any number of players that you look at uh nada and our, our ability to get that was a example of that franchise player that ozzy was committed to holding on to our pick uh at that level to get a player of the caliber of Nada. so there's a lot of players that you look at with a lot of affection for uh, having had a chance to work with him. It's really interesting you mentioned Suggs there because I'm really excited to see Robert Mathis, Dwight Freeney, we've now got James Harrison retiring, 
tea sizzle going in there as well. The Hall of Fame is going to be suddenly loaded with pass rushes. Yeah, yeah, and deservedly so. Um, finally, Coach, I want to ask you about, there's a lot of focus here in the UK on on safety when it comes to the NFL. People will always want to ask me about concussions, and we've seen the, the, the helmets that have been banned by the NFL in the last week, but it's funny that there is so much of a focus on the head when the rest of the equipment some of it can be a bit outdated and i know when we've spoken before about the work you guys do with x-tech and and actually that they should be more focused on pads and what they do for you as well absolutely you know everybody rightfully so is you're taking the head out of the game at every level and it needs to be this is a very physical violent game so we have to do everything we can to protect the players but you're right the one area now that obviously shoulder pads are that much more important that's the one area that hasn't changed in 40 years until now, the X-Tech pad is the next wave of innovation. They use this XRD technology foam, which is a high-impact dispersion foam like no other pad. It's in th- uh, 29 of the 32 NFL clubs, over 300 colleges. Uh, you got players like Khalil Mack and Eli Manning and Vaughn Miller, the two young quarterbacks coming into the league, Josh Rosen and Josh Allen, wear the X-Tech pads. Team, college teams like Michigan, UCLA, Notre Dame, Ohio State, uh, anybody that has any kind of uh, association with the game that's working with young people, you need to go to X-Tech Pad. Go on to Instagram, at X-Tech Pads, and see what these pads are all about. And, and you know, it's not just big-hitting linebackers, etc. guys like Aaron Rodgers, guy like, guys like Andrew Luck with the shoulder injuries we've seen in recent years. could make a huge difference to the NFL. So, uh, yeah, you can actually you can get these X-Tech pads in the UK. I know a number of the UK teams which are using them. So if you use the code DRAFT at xtechpads.com, you can get 10% off your pad order. Look, Coach, we really appreciate your time. Hope you enjoy the upcoming draft and uh, covering it for the NFL Network. And, uh, yeah, I think we've got a great season ahead of us. Sounds great. Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips. Getting you... Yes, you! ...in the game. That wasn't even planned. Uh, It is schedule release day, so... Touchdown trips have never been more relevant. If you are planning a trip out to the States this year, Ben Mortimer is the man to get you covered. Insanely busy this morning. We'll talk about our potential upcoming tour and defensive positions in this year's draft. The Gridiron Show. Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips. Getting you... Yes, you. ...in the game. That's close to sensual. Ollie Hunter coming from home because uh, he hasn't slept yet from work. So, morning, mate. Morning, morning. What an absolute day we've had. Uh, yeah, we. Um, I mean, firstly, just uh, we'll get this out of the way early, but it is important. TouchdownTrips.com, call Ben Mortimer. He spent the whole morning on the phone with people sourcing out various trips for this year. There are so many great potential trips that for our Gridiron Tour for next year, we've got maybe five or six different options on the table right now. Uh, the schedule has made it very difficult for us to end up at Lambeau Field, which was our original plan, but... We are definitely looking at a trip which would see us taking in four or five legendary stadiums, a couple of huge college rivalries. I'd say three or four of the most popular teams in the UK, 
including that certain Green Bay Packers side, uh, and genuinely taking in properly prime-time top-tier games. So we cannot reveal more at the moment, but if we go with the most likely tour that it looks like we're doing, I think it'll top last year's tour. Is that the one that we were talking about last night? Yeah, The the first one I sent over as a suggestion to Ben at like 1.30 in the morning. Uh... Yeah, 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 yeah. That's one that I had a look at, and I thought, holy moly, that would be incredible. It's just, the way it's fallen is so unlucky. And we mentioned it, you and I, uh, on WhatsApp last night. We were talking for a couple of hours. Green Bay and Kansas City, two places we'd both love to go. Arrowhead would be Arrowhead and Lambeau, massively on my list. Bucket list stadiums, those two. Both of them, for me as well. In November and the beginning of December, both teams have one out of five or one out of six games or one out of six weeks at home, and they happen to fall in and around the same week. So it no, 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 no. They fall on the same day. On the same day. I mean, that's ridiculous. Literally on the same day. What is the luck of that? And and the Lambo game would be against Miami, and I reckon between you and me. Put us put it together. We've seen Miami at least double digit times. And seventy-two we're not times fans. minimum. Seventy-two minimum. times minimum. So uh, it it's uh, it's sod's law. However, it does mean that we will definitely try. If we don't get to Lambo this year, we'll definitely try and do Lambo again next year. Uh, but it does mean that there are some other doozies on the table, some amazing stadiums on the table, some great trips, some great college teams. I'm so pumped for it. I'm really, really excited to see what Ben could come up with and make it affordable for you guys out there uh, and make it just as good a trip, if not better, than the one that we did last year. So touchdowntrips.com, if you go to uh, special trips or whatever it's called, it's called something like specialist trips, and then there's the Gridiron Tour there. You can register your interest, pay your £100 deposit, which is fully refundable, but also contact Ben if, if, if... Uh, I mean, wait a couple of days to see what our trip is because it's honestly, I've been out to the States outside of Super Bowls. I've done maybe four or five football trips in my lifetime. If we pull off the one that we're talking about, it will decimate every other tour I've done. It's unbelievable. Includes one of the great all-time college rivalries in one of the great all-time stadiums. It includes... At least six teams, I would say, are playoff bound this year, if not. In fact, there's a chance every team that we see, and we're talking about seeing four, five NFL games in a 10-day span, because we can do a Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Sunday, Monday quite easily. Whoa. All 10 teams have playoff potential on that list, genuinely. it's, It's an unbelievable slate, so... That's possible. There's other possibilities on the table, but just get there, register your interest, contact Ben if you're thinking about doing any trips out there. He genuinely does do the very best possible deals. Um, I always find scheduled chat a bit of a weird one. Um, we've got uh, we've got the issue of well, we're coming up. Matt Sherry and uh, Matt Sherry and the guys are going to join us to talk defensive positions in the draft. I kind of feel like we should almost leave the schedule chat to others, Ollie, uh, because other people will break it down point by point. I just think fantastic Thanksgiving this year. Sunday night football looks phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Thursday night football looks like the best slate they've ever had. I think we're going to be in for some cracking primetime games and not a lot of sleep this autumn. Uh, barely any sleep, as per usual. Kicking off Falcons at Eagles 
Uh, my Packers take on the Bears in prime time, which is great. I remember maybe three or four years ago watching it at the Hippodrome in prime time, and I think it was at Soldier Field we beat them. Brilliant. Uh, your 49ers go to the Vikings. That's that week one game, 49ers at Vikings. Garoppolo, Cousins in his debut game. That's a yeah. cracker. Yeah, um, there are so many great games in that first that first week. I, I love it. I week three. Colts at Eagles, Chargers at Rams. Those two both caught the eye when I was looking through. There's some amazing Week 17 games. Rams at 49ers could be phenomenal. Um, Panthers well, at Saints. That, there's something that you said, uh, the Jimmy G effect for the 49ers. What's that? So the maximum number of games that a team can have on primetime is five. The 49ers have five games on primetime this season. And... You know, if they're relevant at the end of the year and the Rams are as well, it could be six if they flex that Sunday night football as well. Like, and, and that is an absolute possibility. I expect we'll be more around the 500, eight and eight mark, but, you know, I think that's phenomenal. Right, mate, uh, there are people who want to use these studios who have to use them for proper professional reasons, I'm afraid. So um, we're going to go to our defensive position chat. But the other thing we need to mention is that I'm sure you all saw it. NFL UK launched the ticket information for the upcoming games. They announced which way round the two games are going to be at Wembley. So Eagles-Jags will be the final game of the season. Chargers-Titans on the 21st. Both early kickoffs, which is great news. May 1st, the tickets are released for the, first, for the two Wembley games. And August will be for the Seahawks-Raiders game. Now, they had to do August because basically Fox, once all the seats are installed and only then, Fox have to turn up to the stadium, pick their camera positions, work out which seats are going to have to be removed for them and which ones will have to be covered and do all of that as well. So they cannot sell the tickets until then. I think people have been unrealistically unfair to NFL UK online by having a go at them. I, I absolutely believe that they needed to move into the Spurs stadium this season for it to make sense from three years till the next CBA for the future of the game in this country. And I was kind of, I got into a few Barneys online about it last night. Oh, that's not like you. <laughs> Is it? Listen, people will always moan about something. I, I think NFL fans in this country are some of the luck. They're the luckiest fans outside the US, the luckiest fans. And need to be aware of things like this. And if that is the case, just just chill out, guys. You'll get your tickets. There'll be a chance to buy them. There'll be resales as well once the team I've never seen a game where you can't get face value tickets on the week of the game via an NFL UK Facebook group, via Twickets. If you're not already a member of Twickets, get on there. Honestly, you'll be fine, I promise. Just people get over it. We've got to get into the defensive positions chat with Sherry and Clancy. Get in touch with us on our tour at Gridiron on Twitter. Ollie, uh, love you. Let's go to um, Sherry and Clancy. Get all your Welsh favourites, like a 350-gram pack of Collier's Powerful Welsh Cheddar, was £3, now £2. And six braces Welsh cakes. Get two packs for just £1.50. St David's Day worthy at celebratory prices. Don't compromise. Asda. Save money, live better. Selected stores subject to availability. Welsh cakes, Wales only. £1.10 per pack. All right, we're going to now move on to talking about the defensive positions in the 2018 draft, the top prospects. The Brain Trust and me are back together. Simon Clancy, Matthew Sherry from Gridiron Magazine. Uh, gents, I'll, I'll go to, to Sherry this time. Much like we discussed at the start of the, the last show from the offensive side, what are the kind of headlines? What are the, the deep positions? Where are we maybe looking a little weaker in this upcoming draft? 
Yeah, I think I mean it's been well documented that edge rusher isn't as good as it's been in recent years. And I mean that's been coming because I, I feel like the last five years you've looked at every edge rush class and said, "Oh, it's a good class at edge rusher." So that is the weakest we've seen in some time there. I think there's some really good interior defensive players and linebacker is stacked. And I've not heard many people say this, but I really like the cornerback class this year. There's a there's a lot of guys who maybe in the old NFL wouldn't have been great prospects, but in this one are like there are a lot of interior cornerbacks who are now going to be on the field basically on every snap who I think I think you can get those guys on day two and three who could potentially start for you immediately. So I think those are the those are the big ones for me. I think safety's been solid the last few years and I think it is again. I think the whole defensive backs class is is pretty solid to be honest. But certainly middle linebacker to me is is the one where I think there's just I mean there's just a bunch of good players and, and different types of linebackers as well. Um but yeah a lot of good athletes at linebacker and I, and as a as a periods fan who's desperate to see them get at least one good athletic linebacker that's exciting so athletic linebackers and slot corners you're already making this draft sound sexy sherry well it's sexy for the modern nfl isn't it yeah exactly i mean don't, like i said earlier in the in the last in last week's edition um don't forget that you know most teams are in in nickel defense 70 plus percent of the time so you know your slot corner i mean look chris harris is as, as good as they come in the nfl he's a he's a slot corner if you can get you know a, a mike hughes or a Jair alexander you know, or a Denzel Ward who's going to probably play in the slot. That's your, you know, these are your, this is your future. You know, most teams are going to have to have three really good starting cornerbacks plus probably two decent backups because if one goes down, then you need, a, you know, that next man up mentality. So, you know, it's all about the slot cornerback. Do you want to start off with the defensive max? Normally I'd come in with Ed Rusher, the, the quarterback of the, of the defensive side of the draft. That's uh, the, the sexy position, but I'm quite happy to work from the back and work forwards if you want. Yeah, I mean, I think you know Denzel Ward is that he, he's probably going to go in the top top eight picks probably sooner. You know, it could go off at Denver. It could go to Cleveland at four. I reckon the Colts as well are in play for a while. The Colts at six could go to Denver. At, you know, I've heard talk about him going to the Giants at two, which would be a, you know, I, I can't I can't imagine that. But you know, he is a you know he he is absolutely. I, I can't think. Last three, four, five years of a, of a cornerback who's got such good feet. You're quickly dashing my hopes of him falling to the 49ers at nine, which I've been looking at for a while. Yeah, I can't. I'm not sure I can see that happening. I'm not sure. I can Stupid see that Jimmy happening. Garoppolo. Yeah, I know, right? I know. Then you got, you know, but uh, hey, listen, mate, Mike Hughes uh, again probably falls a bit too early for the 49ers, but Hughes uh, to me is a terrific, terrific cornerback. The kid from Central Florida, you know. He's a, cover corner great feet great speed agile you know he uses hands really well but not in the kind of the grabby way he's also a great return guy jr alexander who i just mentioned in louisville another terrific corner josh jackson i have a bit of an issue with jackson in terms of i wonder about you know some of the the footwork he displayed in nfl concepts in terms of covering at the combine gave me food for thought but you know look at you put the film on for Iowa and you know he reminds you of a kind of a guy like Sam Madison who played for the Dolphins in terms of Madison's ability to break off routes and, and make interceptions which is what Jackson did a lot of when he was at Iowa but then again you go you go down to kids like Isaiah and Carlton Day 40 picks might sneak in the back end of round one big physical 
I mean, uh, Isaiah Oliver will probably remind you a bit of uh, the Dolphins' corner Xavier Howard in terms of size and uh, physical ability. But even that, that kind of third tier of Nick Nelson at, at Wisconsin, Anthony Averitt at Alabama, Duke Dawson of Florida, uh, and the kid I really like, MJ Stewart, who's going to remind you a bit of Micah Hyde, MJ Stewart of North Carolina, you're going to get really, really good corners in the fourth, fifth round of this draft. Guys that can come in and either play the spot will be significant special teams guys like a Tony Brown of Alabama. I think it's a terrific, terrific draft for cornerbacks. There's some guys as well, Clancy, who who will play well in zone. So there's going to oh, be absolutely. certain teams who, well, like I think you Josh think teams like the Panthers and teams like that yeah. who might get a steal in like day two and three of a guy who can really excel in zone. Absolutely. Uh, coming from Matthew Sherry, another man who uses his hands well, but not in the grabby way. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, Thanks, Bert. Do we almost have to consider the the with the corners splitting the the position a little bit, like we do kind of free safety, strong safety, by saying like these are the guys who will work well in the nickel packages in the slot. These are your outside guys, and and actually start talking about them as, as separate positions almost at this point. Yeah, you you do, but the guys that I've mentioned, the wards, the the huge, yeah, the ward outlets, can do both. Can't these are yeah, exactly. These are inside outside guys. You know, these are that that's what makes them so so tempting for teams early on is because they can play outside on the boundary but they can also play inside because they've got the foot speed to be able to do it you know you look at the best nickel cornerbacks in the nfl that their game is predicated on outstanding hip turn quickness uh, sort of short area quickness because that's what they have to do i mean it's almost impossible it's the most difficult i think it's the most difficult position to play in the nfl is is nickel corner slot corner but that's what these guys can do and that's why they offer so much value is because they're not just a boundary corner they can play inside as well and, and just think, a guy like that is a true matchup guy in terms of the fact that, like, in the past, and, and maybe even somebody like Richard Sherman, you could say this could have applied to. Like, if 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 he's one on one with Julio Jones in the past, you could just put Jones in the slot and think, well, he probably might not cover him there. You, some of these guys now can do both, so they literally can man up on your best receiver, and no matter how many times you move them about the formation, they're still going to have the matchup. The, the interesting slash worrying in inverted commas thing about these three guys that I mentioned, Hughes, Ward and Alexander, is they're all five foot ten, you know, which is not ideal size for, for an NFL corner. You know, you look at guys like Isaiah Oliver and, and Carlton Davis of Auburn. These are six foot, six foot one, six foot two guys. I'm sorry, the bounty's repeating on me. Um, but, um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I think it's a really, really good corner, a really good corner class. I think along with, along uh, to me, the cornerback class is the best Cornerback and running back to me are the best two, two um, position classes in, in this draft. Is there a risk, much like I was asking about with the running backs, that that means some of these guys, you were talking about getting value, but maybe do slip down a little bit because there's such an abundance of them that people get panicky and grab the edge rushes early because there aren't many of them? Potentially, but I don't. I just think teams need five good cornerbacks and three good starting cornerbacks on the field pretty much all the time. And if you don't have that, then you, you're not going to be able to play in, this, in the modern NFL. I don't know what you think, Matt. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And if anything, I, I I almost think like a different thing occurs where teams are just going to fall in love with their guy and probably draft him. And that, as I said about some other positions, that guy for you who's a second round pick might be a fifth round pick mm-hmm. to another team. So I, I always think it's hard to predict with that. And I think what you'll see happen is teams panic. Like just say they're like two guys and one of them goes off the board and they think it's cornerback. It's such an important position. 
such an important position that Matt Sherry has disappeared off the face of the planet. <laughs> <laughs> it, it got so excited. It was so excited to call back. He just, he just logged out. I, I just imagine that he's just, you know, he just breathed too when hard comes, on the receiver. When he comes back, let's just say, well, that's it. We've covered it all now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, that's the defensive side of the draft covered. Excellent stuff. Uh, <laughs> you're right, Shazza. <laughs> I have no idea what happened. It just went off. Before this fucking dog shit is what happened. I think you breathe on it a little too heavily. Am I breathing heavily? No, actually, you've been, it's been all right today. I barely noticed it, but still doesn't yeah. stop it being a funny joke. Uh, I might just leave all of this in, <laughs> because editing it is a pain. Uh, what were you last saying? Uh, I don't even remember at this point. I said the oh. teams could panic with cornerbacks and actually trade up for them, basically, rather right. than... Just sit there and think, oh, well, there's loads of guys. I think there are loads of guys, but it depends on which team you are, which one fits you. All right. Well, I think... Sort of one-size-fits-all scenario, Will. Uh, I think you've made your point. Uh, what about uh, sticking with the defensive backfield and, and the safeties? When we've we got a year that guys like Eric Reed, and you can talk about the outside reasons for that happening, as well as the the concussions and, and whatever else, but Kenny Vaccaro's still out there. It's been a lot of talk about how this has been a weakened safety market in free agency this year. Does that then get reflected on the draft as well? I think so. Uh, sorry, repeat the question. I, was, I was, wasn't concentrated. Somebody eating the bounty. So essentially, was, stop eating your bounty. <laughs> Sorry, I was somebody sent me a message. That was all because I'm sort of, yeah, sort of working. Um, uh, make better make sure I type code this one. I wasn't going to bother editing yeah. out the other stuff, but this one actually I do need to. Um, I also swore earlier, Will, so get that out. When did you swear? I said my phone is effing s h i t. Right, I tell you what, Sherry, why don't you go back to saying about uh, teams become enamoured with two guys when one goes, they panic, and I'll just edit all the way from back there. I mean, I think what you could actually see is is teams panicking a cornerback. As Simon says, you need five guys if you can get one, and maybe you've got five two guys. guys you love and one guy. Five guys without all the guys goes do it. the board. Two burger monsters. <laughs> <laughs> but if uh, if if one if one of you guys goes, one of your five guys goes, then I think you'll see teams trading up for cornerbacks. I mean, it's not a one size fits all scenario, so. Teams are going to invest heavily in the guys they like. Now, sticking with the the defensive backfield, it's been a lot of talk about the suppressed safety market in free agency and guys still being out there and available like Kenny Vaccaro and Eric Reid, and you can argue what the other reasons are for that, and we have had that conversation before. But do you think, Clancy, that the safety has been a little bit undervalued in free agency and there are actually some pretty strong duos out there already? Do we see the same happen in the draft? Or, you know, say by some freak occurrence, someone like Derwin James falls all the way down to somewhere like Tennessee. They've already got a pretty strong safety pairing. But do you just go, well, we play lots of nickel. That guy's amazing. Let's pick him. Yeah, and also because, you know, what what you're going to have is, uh, and, and I don't believe that the free agency situation with safeties is representative of what's happening with safeties generally because I think safety has become one of the most important positions in the league in part because of what we talked about in terms of nickel defences in part because you can take a linebacker off the field and you can put a safety in there and so that therefore you can you can essentially play 
retain the same personnel playing 4-3, playing nickel and playing big nickel, which is where you're safety in as, as a linebacker. And therefore, it allows you to con- it allows you to um, disguise your coverages because you're not rotating anybody in or off the field. So if you're bringing in a nickel cornerback, then people are going to know that that's what you're doing. But if you're just staying with, a, with the same base 4-3 defense, but you can run three or four different systems out of it, that makes it much more confusing for an offense. So you look at guys like, um, you know, Matt talked about him in the first part in terms of Calvin Ridley, Minka Fitzpatrick, you know, can he play safety? Yes. Can he play cornerback boundary? Yes. Can he play nickel? Yes. Can he play a big nickel linebacker? Absolutely yes. So if you look for a, a team that's looking for that sort of, you know, the Arizona Cardinals or the Miami Dolphins or teams like that who want to play that way, Fitzpatrick can play, well, Fitzpatrick essentially can play six positions. He can play either cornerback spot, either safety spot, a linebacker or a nickel. That's how versatile he is. And the thing is, I would say that what you've talked about, Will, those are the safeties the teams want now. And those guys, the market isn't necessarily being suppressed for them in the same way. Like, as soon as Tyron Matthew becomes available, he's signed within a day because he's so multifunctional and Fitzpatrick is, is someone who fits that mold. Derwin James is the same. Look, James is an athletic freak. I mean, he's an absolute freak. I mean, his freshman year at Florida State, uh, I mean, you put on the tape and you're just like, wow, I mean, this kid has to be a senior or, you know, he has to be an NFL player who's gone back and gone rogue kind of thing. You know, he, he's just everywhere. You know, he, he struggled coming back from the, from the ACL injury a little bit last year, but blimey, he is a, you know, he's a top six, top eight, top ten player. Uh, and also he's going to, looks to me like he's, you know, you play him right. He's a player that can play Deep centre field safety, he can play in the box because he's you know he's two hundred fifteen pounds. I'm not sure he's Jalen Ramsey type as a cornerback, but you can certainly play him you know as a nickel linebacker. So there are so many different things that you can do with a with a Derwin James. Uh, so uh, to me, do you think uh, Simon? You mentioned the the slight drop off after the ACL. If you took that year out of it, is he the best prospect in the in the class, James? Like if you just look at his early turn, I think he might be top three. Yeah, I do as well. I think I, I think it would probably you'd probably say Barkley, Nelson, and Derwin James would be the best three pure prospects in the draft if you took out the the recovery from the injury. I mean, remember his first year, he was absolutely insane. I mean, look, last year he still had what two, three picks, eleven, twelve batted passes, eighty-five tackles. I mean, the kid is really, really, really good. I mean. When he first stepped onto the field at Florida State, they were talking about, you know, this is a kid that is could potentially, you know, be better than Jalen Ramsey, could equal the sort of feats that Deion Sanders had in terms of winning the Jim Thorpe Award and those sorts of things. And also, he apparently is a great, great kid. I mean, I saw a quote that said, you know, even the coaches say that if Derwin talks, everybody listens. You know, he's a guy that, uh, an absolute alpha male, he's a guy that's going to really, you know, carry a defense and put it on his shoulders. But then you look, you know, you look down the list. Jesse Bates of, of Wake Forest, a bit like he's a kind of offensive version of Austin Corbett, the guard that we talked about from Nevada, flying really under the radar, could easily be a first round pick. Ronnie Harrison of Alabama, you can play him in the box, you can play him as a single high safety. He's got the ability to get to the to the perimeter. Another guy, Justin Reed, totally under the radar, Stanford kid, again top forty prospect. Tremaine Edmonds, who we'll talk about in a little bit, the the linebacker from Virginia Tech, his brother Terrell Edmonds. He ran a 4.47 at 220 pounds at the combine. This is a kid who's going to smack you in the mouth. Third, fourth round pick. You know, absolutely you know, terrific player. And he's, you know, Kazir White. You go down the list. Kazir White, Jordan Whitehead. All these, Saran Neal, Marcus Allen of Penn State was talked about this time last year as a potential first round pick. There's some really good safeties in this draft and you just have to work out, you know, how do you want to use them? Do you want to use them inside as linebackers? Do you want to use them in the nickel? Do you want to, 
uh, isolate them as single high guys? How how do they fit your specific scheme? But you know, you look around the league, whether it's Denver or Jacksonville or the Giants or whatever. However you want to work, there are players there that fit your scheme. It's just making sure that you get the right guy. Because square pegs and round holes don't work. And you know, you guys know better than anybody. You sat at the at the draft with Lorenzo, at the um, Super Bowl with Lorenzo Alexander talking about being a free agent and Lorenzo said you know the worst thing is worrying about going to a team where you don't fit that scheme uh, uh, and as stupid as that sounds that's what happens over and over again and it's what happens teams draft players that don't particularly yeah. fit that scheme and you think you can mold them and you can't because they you know they've just worked in a particular scheme I, you know I hate to keep banging on about the Dolphins but the Dolphins years ago drafted Jamal Fletcher out of Wisconsin who won the Thorpe Award he was a zone caller and they tried to play him in a, in a man system and he, he, he was a bust he couldn't he couldn't play because he was totally out of his out of his depth, because that's just not what he knew. And sometimes these kids can't be moulded. Just as Lorenzo Alexander said, you do, you're dreading that phone call saying, you know, I've played in a certain, I've played in a three-four, and all of a sudden I'm being asked to play in a four-three, and and you know, justify the big contract I've just earned. And I, if I've never played in a four-three, I'm going to struggle doing so. But teams make these mistakes over and over again. So find the piece that fits, stick with it, and you should be able to move forwards. And there's lots of pieces that fit in this safety class. Um, the final point I just wanted to make on Derwin James that we were talking about is we heard in the last show from Earl, jo- uh, Earl Thomas and Landon Collins and um, both of them have worked with him in this off-season. Both of them talked about what a great guy he was. But I just think you add to that the fact that he's been hanging out and working with Earl Thomas and Landon Collins. And you think, well, you're only going to learn and get better from that. And the more of these stories I hear about guys as they build up to the draft and the agents that they work with and the, the experience that they're getting, there's a good reason that you get excited about some of these top prospects. I, I, the thing is, they might learn a bit from Darren James as well, because, I mean, his early years at Florida State, he was immediately maybe the best player in college football. Like, yeah. Insane talent. Um, right, moving on from safety, we just we just move up the defense and, uh, and move into those linebackers, which Matt Sherry likes so much. Because Sherry, you were you were waxing lyrical that you think this is a uh, one of the deepest positions in the draft, and it's not as maybe as much as safety been somewhat. I think because of the evolution of the safety position, maybe middle linebacker has been undervalued somewhat in recent times. Are you walking through a haunted house again, Sherry? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm walking over to my office. Is that is that okay? It's, it's just every now and again we hear the heavy breathing and the creaking of doors and I start to think it of suddenly... Like a, it sounds like a pantry door is being But yeah, just wax lyrical a bit about this, uh, this linebacker class and why you're so excited about it. I mean, I'm, 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 I do, and this is a negative thing, view a lot of things through a Patriots lens. But, I mean, when I look at three guys for me, my best three guys are Tremaine Edmonds from Virginia Tech, who is like a kid. I think he's like 19 years old. He's 19. Insane athletic profile. And, and to be honest, I would say he's the guy who... The other two guys for me are Roquan Smith from Georgia, who was amazing throughout the season, but particularly in the at the end of the season in in the playoff games, he was absolutely incredible. Jumped off the jumped off the screen watching it on TV. Never mind for the people who were there. And then Rashawn Evans at Alabama, who is a guy, a classic Alabama middle linebacker who does a bit of everything and is just a really good player. And there's another guy, Leighton Vander Etch, who from Boise State, who's in that mix, but I would put the other three guys ahead of him. Edmonds, to me, is the interesting one because 
if you ask me in year one who will be the be the best player of those guys, I would say that Smith and Evans would almost certainly be the guys who I would say they're plug and play starters who will immediately be good players. But Edmonds has as much upside as any player in this draft. I mean, as I said, he's he's just a kid and he's got all the all the tools that you could ever wish for. But he's also got some production as well. He's not one of these guys who you look at him in college and think, God, he's so athletic and he, he could be amazing, but we don't really see it on tape. I do see it on tape. I don't see it anywhere near as much as I see it with Smith and Evans, but I think like Tremaine Edmonds, when all said and done, could end up being looked back upon as the best player in this draft class. The, the interesting thing about Edmonds for me is that because he's 19 and because he is raw, and he is raw, I mean, he had 109 tackles, five and a half sacks, 14 tackles for a loss, three forced fumbles and two picks last year, but he's still 19, is that his the team that gets him in his second contract will probably get the best out of him. You know, he's going to be 23, 24 when he hits his second contract. Now, if you don't retain him, let's just say uh, the 49ers draft him. If he plays okay, but it doesn't quite fulfill what you think because he's the eighth overall pick and you think you probably should have got better, what you're going to find with Edmonds is that when he hits his second contract, I think in that 23, 24, 25, 26, 27 area, that's when he's really going to develop into an absolutely outstanding player. To me, he is a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. I, I, you know, he's the son of Ferrell Edmonds, the former Dolphins tight end. I just think he's absolutely brilliant. You look at his tape, you go from the Clemson game at the start of the season to the back end of the season, and he's a totally different player. He was still good in the Clemson game, but you can play him inside, you can play him outside as a, as a strong side linebacker. He can cover in zone. He can cover in man. He covers in man against wide receivers in the, the slot. The, the versatility is it's, just ludicrous. Like, it's insane. Totally, totally ridiculous. It's insane. You know, you talk about Roquan Smith. I think lots of people are overthinking Roquan Smith because he's six. He's 232 pounds. Roquan Smith was the best linebacker in college football last year. It wasn't even close. You know, he didn't miss a single solitary tackle. Also, <laughs> not, not, not one, not one single tackle in the SEC. You know, this is the guy who will play inside and he will get out to the perimeter faster than the guy on the strong side or on the weak side. That's how quick he is. That's how instinctive he is. That's how he understands his run keys and things. You see him, he's like a heat-seeking missile getting out to the, to the perimeter. I think teams, I think people are like, oh, Roquan, can he do this? Can he? No, seriously, draft him, put him in. He'll be, I, I suspect he'll be off the board by pick six. Put him in and he will be an all-pro linebacker for 10 years. He is that. And, and also, he might immediately be, be your best player. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like he's that good, and and it is it is classic overthinking, and that's that's one of the great debates of the draft is whether if I was a team who could draft one or one of those two, I'd have a really tough decision on my hands yeah. because I think you know you talked about Rashawn Evans. You know, again, we saw him live. He's a he could be the best of the NFL. Not as good. He's not as good as the kid that you know got into so much trouble now with the Forty Niners, uh, Ruben Foster. But he's really, really good. And what he does best is that he's a two-down linebacker in terms of being able to play the run and play in base. On third down, he can either drop off in coverage, which he's very adept at, or he's a really, really good blitzer. I mean, he can yeah. rush off the air. He can get to the cornerback. He'll smash you in the mouth as well. So, you know, it's a terrific class. Van Der Esch, you talked about, great against the run, played pretty well in zone, very instinctive. Then you've got some kind of, you know, the Darius Leonard's of South Carolina State who's who's getting quite a lot of popularity, gaining quite a lot of popularity in that second round area. Oren Burks of Vanderbilt, kids I like, kind of going down the list. There's there's, there's really good players out there, but this, the top three or four guys, Evans, Smith and Edmonds, 
totally separate themselves and they could be you know you could look back in 10 years time and go wow these three were absolutely special players and, and I think I think with Evans I mean to me why I've he's a guy I could see the periods drafting and the, the reason I could is he reminds me a lot of Hightower but he's more athletic than, I, than Hightower is he's not a player where you're after trying to hide him in coverage he excels in coverage as well like he's another he's another guy with to me those the, those two I mentioned are uh, in particular, the two guys who would just go in, start, and be one of your best five or ten players immediately. And I, and I think those, in the first round, that is really what you should be trying to draft. And most importantly, for a guy whose team do need linebackers, good character guys as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> because what are you eating? I'm not eating anything. Be quiet. I'm just having a little yeah. chicken salad, and I'm being attacked by a cat while I'm trying to do it. Uh, <laughs> Only in Willie's world. It's, it's become an absolute mess. Honestly, I set myself up for this podcast because I knew we were going to be recording back to back. I've got a little drink to my side. I've got a little food and snacks to my right. I'm under a blanket. Honestly, I couldn't be happier right now just listening to you to wax lyrical about the draft, making a few little notes. This is great. This is great. <laughs> there you go. I hope other people <laughs> are listening to this podcast in as much of a life of luxury as I am. Um, the thing, the the one thing I would say is I should not be put in the same bracket as Clancelot, who has already mentioned, and on. I think I know this draft pretty well. A few players who I've never heard of. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what he brings to the party, isn't it? <laughs> uh, uh, so, from inside guys to outside guys, and I guess do we lump in the the outside linebackers and the and the defensive ends and the and the basically yeah, the edge so. benders? Let's talk about the edge benders, the pass rushers couple of guys at the top of the draft that everyone is is very excited about uh, but it doesn't feel like there's a lot of depth beyond that and and you saw it with the way that guys got paid again this year the very rarities who do manage to hit free agency that these guys are hard to find unless you're picking at the top of the draft yeah, yeah. i mean it's it's I don't know, it's just a really down year, isn't it, that, that, in that position? You know, beyond Bradley Chubb, then it's kind of pick a guy, really. And, you know, you, I, I've, seen, I've seen mock drafts from people I respect in the past 10 days. I have people like Josh Sweat of Florida State in the first round. You think, whoa, where's that come from? You know, you're looking at Bradley Chubb, who, you know, who isn't, uh, isn't the kid that went first over, isn't Miles Garrett, but, you know, he's a really good player. And, you know, he's got great hands, will play the run as well, you know. I think he. I think he totaled 100 tackles and 10 sacks the last two seasons, which is. That's, that's what I, I like about Chubb. I'm not sure he's like the elite pass rushing guy that everybody looks for in the top five, but he's great at both, isn't he? Like he's as yeah. adept against the run as he is as he is against the passer, and 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 that's that's kind of a slight difference. I think closer to a kind of these other guys, closer to a kind of clowny than a than a straight up pass rusher. Well, yeah, yeah but I mean, but... Clown, clowny's an interesting case because. Like Clowney, to me, was was the dominant pass rusher type when he was a prospect. Yeah. But actually, in the NFL, he's translated more as a as a set the edge run stuffer yeah. who is a very talented pass rusher. But at this point, hasn't produ- produced as you'd expect him to as a pass rusher. Yeah, I think Harold Landry, the kid of Boston from Boston College, is going to be a little like Alden Smith in that he's not really going to play the run. But when remember when Alden Smith came in, had those first couple of years of sort of twenty sacks and whatever, just in situational pass rush. I think Landry, who rushes mainly from the left end position, his numbers are significantly better from left end than they are from right end. He has got a ridiculous get off. I mean, a ridiculous first step. He is going to put right tackles 
he's going to give right tackles nightmares. You know, he's a kid that, you know, you look at someone like the Green Bay Packers at 14, would be a perfect fit for them in terms of just the ability to, to, to press around, bend around the edge and get to the quarterback. Because he's somebody that uh, has potentially got sort of 12 to 15 sack potential in him as a rookie, just because he's, you know, he has that ability. He's not, like I said, he's not going to be a, a threat on first and second downs. But, you know, when you're in obvious passing situations, Harold Landry, you're going to want to double team him. You're going to want to chip him. You've got the kid, Marcus Davenport, that people people talk about from UTSA. I'm not sold him. I've got friends that think he's absolutely the, the second coming. I, 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 it worries me the level of competition and how raw he is. I, I didn't think he played very well in the first two days at the senior bowl. Really struggled. Came on a bit at the back end. I don't know what you think, Matt. But you know, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, the, the guy, guy who I'm really day. excited about, and this I think is. I mean, we've done this a bit, guys. Who we watched in person. There I are character know. concerns, <laughs> but Arden Key to me is a guy who you can get later on potentially in the. End of the first round, maybe mid second, even who, from a pure talent perspective, is is one of the top two or three guys in this class at this position. Do we know I what happened when he just went? Round. Do we know what happened when he just yeah. went walkabout? Yeah. Arden Key, we just disappeared. No, there's a lot of issues, I think. Hmm. Clancyfield yeah. almost certainly knows, but we might not be able to say it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. I tried to talk to him when we were at LSU. I tried to hunt him down, and uh, yeah, they were not making him available for media. What do you think, Simon, about Oklahoma's Ogbonia Okoronkwo? Uh, no, absolutely. I'm a really big fan. I think he's a terrific uh, in terms of a pure pass rusher. I think he's a terrific. Terrific prospect. I, mean, yeah. I think he's insanely good, and, and oh. I've seen more and more people. I, I read about him because people were talking about him more, and then I watched him, and I, he looks as a pure edge rusher. I would say him and Landry are the best two that I've yeah. watched on his on get off. Is, his get off is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, the concern obviously is that he's six foot, two hundred forty three pounds. It doesn't have the size, but yeah, I think he had like ten sacks last year, eight sacks last year. I think he's a. He reminds me a little bit of Hassan Reddick, uh, who went the the kid from Temple, who the Cardinals the, first round last yeah. year. Yeah. Um, I think he's he's a bit of a hybrid. I think you know you, you're going to want to get a creative defensive coordinator who can use him in a good way. Um, but yeah, I think he's um, in terms of his explosion uh, as far as a pass rusher. I think he's um, I think he could as a situational pass rusher. I think he'd be a terrific terrific pick in that sort of fourth round area. And the, the, another guy I've had a look at for the periods is Lorenzo Carter as well. But I, I project yeah. him more as an inside guy than an outside guy from what I've seen. Yeah, always going to have to put his hand in the, in the ground and be a, a, a pass rusher. I think. I mean, it's one of those one of those two things. I mean, he's a um, he flashed a little bit on tape at Georgia. I just he was just wasn't consistent enough for me. But he ran. Yeah, was it four forty nine? He ran at the combine four fifty yeah. at the combine. It's just uh, you know he's a uh, he's a dangerous edge rusher or he certainly was in the SEC and I think you know I, I think again you've got to play to that straight I mean again he's a guy that could go in the top 40 picks absolutely unequivocally could go in the top 40 picks I, I don't see a, uh, I don't see that as a uh, as being out of the realms of possibility so I, I think uh, it comes it comes back down again to what we were talking about in terms of difficult to find those kind of guys a weaker draft in terms of the position so you end up seeing reaches you end up seeing runs you end up seeing guys taken earlier than you expect and yeah, I, you know, it's one of those where there are guys who we talk about as day two prospects who if they actually creep their way up into the 20s, you're never that stunned because people are so desperate for fight, to find the next elite pass rusher. And yeah. 
uh, it's it's difficult to end up where you've got a great tandem like they do in somewhere like uh, in Denver or or Los Angeles at the Chargers or somewhere like that. Yeah. So it's no surprise when they do get reached for. Um, what about the interior guys on the line? Because I've heard some pretty positive things about this class. Yeah, it's a really good car. I mean, let, let Matt take it because I mean, I think one of Matt's favourite players in the draft sits at sits a defensive back. So I'll let Matt go first on this one. Yeah, I mean, I I support Michigan in in college football, and I've watched a lot of and, Maurice and Shergar and the Harden Globetrotters. Michigan's <laughs> I've only just got a college team, Clance a lot. I'm quite pleased with it, but. Maurice Hurst to me. He's just watched one episode of All or Nothing and he's got all excited. Yeah. <laughs> that's what's happened. Yeah, I mean that's helped as well. I mean he <laughs> th- this is this is to me it's I mean I said top three either, but maybe top five, top ten talent. Aaron Donald esque, undersized interior lineman, just absolutely lived in opposing backfields last year and the year before, and is just awesome and also was an Uber driver around campus, <laughs> which I absolutely <laughs> love. Like there's just there's just a video of a guy getting in the back of his car in the All or Nothing series on Amazon, and it's just like, uh, so do you, uh, do you do do you like football? And he goes, yeah, I've got season tickets at Michigan. He goes, do you have season tickets? He goes, initially he goes, yeah, yeah. Then he goes, actually, I'm on the team, <laughs> and it's just <laughs> absolutely amazing. But the guy still doesn't realise after he doesn't feel the need to point out to him. That not only is he on the team, but he is one of the best two or three players on the team. He just goes, yeah, I'm number 73, watch out for me in a game. What a hero. And yeah. a great player. I mean, he's got a... They, they, they found a heart condition with him at the combine, which I think is why he might drop slightly in the draft. But the next Aaron Donald. And, and yeah, he's got elite elite get-off in terms of quickness. He will remind you of Aaron Donald in terms of the way he gets off the ball. You know, 292 pounds, six foot one, can play the run. He's yeah, he's a terrific, terrific player. That you know, the heart injury. You know, the, people will remember back to Leon Bender, the the kid, 18, 20 years ago, had the same sort of condition and what happened to him tragically. But you know. Hurst is a really, really good player. A really good player, and you know, you could end up getting him in the forty to fifty-five area potentially, just because teams are concerned about that heart issue. And, and what uh, do you think about Deron Payne, Simon? Because I mean, every time I watched Alabama, he was making a huge play. I mean, he's a freak. He reminds me of Damakin Sue. He really does. He's an athletic freak. I mean, he's a tremendous run defender all year. I mean, gap control for a, for a, for a junior like him is is terrific. I mean, teams just couldn't run on Alabama, and it was because of him. He was able to control the point of attack. I thought his two best games. You know, he played best when the lights were brightest. I think his two best games were the playoff games against Clemson against Georgia. I, I, you know, I know one team. I know one team that thinks he is um, one of the twelve best players in the draft. Uh, and significantly the best defensive tackle in the draft. Um, you know, he, the 40 time he ran at, what, 311 pounds. He ran at 495 at 311 pounds. <laughs> I mean, what? That's lunacy. That's lunacy. I just think, um, you know, I, 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 I know from a scouting friend that, who accompanied a scouting director to see Alabama um, in the fall said that they came away believing that Minka Fitzpatrick and Deron Payne were already NFL players still playing college football. Yeah, yeah and that's, I, I'd agree that, with that's that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think those are one A and one B with Vita Vea, who a lot of people have number one slightly behind them as, as my three kind of... But I mean, not like any of them are bad players, but I think those are the three 
top players, but I would have Hurst and Payne as my one and two. I think it's yeah, disrespectful, Matt Sherry, not to give Vita Vea his full name, to be honest. No, I'm never ever going to give him his full name. <laughs> yeah, I, don't I, think, I think even if I copied and pasted it and put it in the magazine, I would, I would struggle to just believe that it's accurate. Tavita Tuolakio and Atula Poto must say have a hahi falatu vea. Oh, you missed Vahoko out. You were so close. He never. I mean, I didn't. I heard Vahea falatu vea. I, missed, I, I, I heard a missed word there, I'm sure. Tavita. Hmm? Tuliakiona. Tui Pilota. Masesi, Vahea, Falatau Vea. Yeah, you've missed the name out. I mean, I didn't, but it's fine. No, his full name is Tavita Tuiaka Ono, Tuipiloto, Masesi, Vahea, Fehoko, Falatau Vea. Okay. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely unbelievable. I just really wanted to make everyone say his name in full. Hooray! I'm still annoyed that Sherry hasn't done it. No, I'm not even attempting it. <laughs> he can barely say Vita Vea, to be fair. <laughs> uh, there's, um, there's a the, talking of under. So we talked about Jesse Bates and Austin Corbett. Taven Bryan of Florida, an under the radar guy who'll end up going in the first round, I suspect. Uh, when he came to Florida, there's early years they thought they had another JJ Watt on their hands. He hasn't quite developed that way, but he's 6'5", 290, is an athletic freak. He's quick. Uh, I think he's a first-round player. He played really well last year. You, you put on the game against Texas A&M. Um, I thought he was absolutely outstanding. I think um, uh, I think he's gonna. Uh, he he will remind you a little bit of JJ Watt at times, especially because obviously Watt runs a lot, rushes a lot from from inside. People say, "Oh, JJ's a defensive end." He really isn't. He rushes from an interior position a lot of the time. So um, you know, he's got a great get-off, real explosion at the snap. He's well worth. Um, he's well worth keeping an eye. He could be a. He could go to the Dallas Cowboys at 19. He I've, fits um, very, very well. With, I, I've with seen him mocked to Atlanta a few different places. Yeah. Um, I, I think he's a really good player. And then again, you know, you're going to go down to Harrison Phillips at Stanford. You know, Tim Settle, the, the big kid at Virginia. If Tim Settle can keep his weight off, he could be a terrific force in the NFL. Um, you know, there's some really good players that, the, 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 the down the list you go. The, the kid at NC State, BJ Hill. Uh, and then there's some small school guys that that I really like. Nathan Shepard of Fort Hayes State, who who performed really well at the Senior Bowl, really held his own at Immobile. I think he's a guy that could end up going on the second day potentially. Um, so it's it's a decent it's a decent defensive tackle group. Good, good. Have I missed a position again? I keep doing this. I don't Kick think up. so. Roquan Smith visited the 49ers on Tuesday. Well, that's no surprise. Honestly, it may be an overreaction to what's happened with uh, with Reuben Foster, but I wouldn't be surprised. I, I was absolutely convinced the 49ers, and we'll talk about this in the in the mock draft episode. But I was convinced we were looking defensive back because there are three guys at the top who. That what's exciting about picking somewhere like nine this year is sometimes nine can be a bit of a no man's land position because you miss on the top five or six blue chip players but with the number of teams moving up and looking to take a quarterback you could get a top three top four talent at nine because they just drop down past those past those qbs so uh, i'm convinced that we've got somebody exciting coming in the building i'm 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 excited all right i think that wraps up the defensive position so next week we will be doing our mock draft will be coming out around tuesday hopefully ahead of the draft on thursday then we'll be doing a reaction to round one on friday morning and of course make sure that you are following at gridiron on twitter at uk gridiron on instagram for instant reactions to the first round picks the fact that simon and matt sherry are getting together in the same room to eat gumbo probably drink a fair amount and get all giddy and excited about the draft means that our Twitter account could be an absolute hoot on the night. I'm not going to lie. 
Big time, who? Big time. Big time. <laughs> All right, boys. <laughs> top work, and uh, and uh, we will uh, speak next week. Thanks, Willie. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Let's well. go back to me and Ollie for whatever nonsense we're going to finish this podcast off with. That was Matt Sherry. That was Simon Clancy. Don't forget, we'll have next week a very special mock draft edition coming out probably Tuesday, I suspect, at the moment. We're just figuring out timing to record it. And then on Friday morning, a review of day one of the draft recorded at like 5 a.m. because we're mad. Ollie, before that, any final thoughts? No, clearly not. He's disappeared on me. Ollie! Ollie! He's been taken away. I think he's been taken away by TalkSport into the night. So I will just bid you adieu instead. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Get in touch with us at Gridiron on Twitter. Really do get in touch with Ben at Touchdown Trips. If you're considering a tour out there, he will provide you the best experience at the very most reasonable price. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening. This has been The Gridiron Show. Fantastic. Get all your Welsh favourites like a 350 gram pack of Collier's Powerful Welsh Cheddar was £3, now £2. And six braces Welsh cakes. Get two packs for just £1.50. St David's Day worthy at celebratory prices. Don't compromise. Asda. Save money, live better. Selected stores subject to availability. Welsh cakes Wales only. £1.10 per pack.